Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about getting paid to market yourself. Yes. I'm so excited for this. Yeah. Our episode last week with four-time best-selling author Jill Conrath uh, revealed to us a, a sort of approach for monetizing your expertise and building your authority at the same time. And it was really a head slapper for me personally, because I've done stuff like she described to the letter. And I had the same uh, experience that she had getting exposed to it. And yet I never, the light bulb just never went on for me (laughs) that it could be something that I pursued actively instead of what I thought were just random occurrences that were, you know, super duper edge cases and and that sort of thing. So we wanted to really drill into that today, uh, maybe tell a few anecdotes uh, from ourselves and our clients about, about how we did it or have done it and, or are doing it, and hopefully get the gears turning for you, the dear listener, about how you might be able to do the same thing. Exactly. So what if we start with, um, in case somebody didn't listen to that episode, I'm sure they want to go right back and listen to it now. But uh, why don't we give them a quick heads up about the approach that Jill mentioned? Sure. Uh, Well, she, she, Jill, you know, it's a theme in the episode that she starts with a problem. She, She has a problem solving brain. She gets sort of once she sees a juicy problem, she can't stop thinking about it. And then a few, maybe three or four months later, boom, the answer occurs to her in her dream. And the problem that was she was faced with was she wanted to make lots of content for a market that really couldn't afford to pay her well to do it. You know, so she, Mm -hmm. you know, she had a lot on her mind. She had a lot to share. She felt like it would really make their lives better. She's a super mission-driven type of person. She knew exactly who she was talking to, but she didn't know how to sort of turn that into a good income. And sort of by a couple of happy accidents, she figured it out, <laughs> you know, three or four months later. And the, the basically the way it happened was someone contacted her to write an ebook for their customers who happened to be the same kind of audience that Jill was talking to. So she said, great, this seems like a great idea. It was a well-known company. I think she said it was done in Bradstreet. And she thought, oh, this will be good sort of street cred for me, good third-party validation. I'll do the seed book, you know, 2,000, 3,000 words. And it'll look, you know, I'll sort of get the stamp of approval as an expert in this space from this well-known company that my target audience uh, trusts. So it seemed like a win-win. She didn't get paid for it. Um, and then she got, but, uh, someone's, Oh, wait, wait, wait. I I think it's funny how two people remember things differently. Mm -hmm. I think what she said was she didn't think she was going to get paid for it. And then they were on the call and they made some comment about it. And she realized that she could get paid. Mm -hmm. I think they said something like, how much is this going to cost or something like that? Right. And, and then she named a number. Right. I think that was the second opportunity she had. And then the third one was Dunna Bradstreet came back to her and asked her to do it again. And she said, Oh, I'd love to do another one for you, but this time I'm really busy and I'm going to have to charge you. So it, it regardless that I, I don't remember if I'm, I'm probably remembering it wrong because my memory is terrible. But, um, at, at any rate, she threw a number out there and she, it, the first number that she did throw out there was $3,000. And they were like, sure, right. we can afford that. And she, you know, it took her 
a few hours across the course of a week to put that together. So it wasn't bad money. It wasn't great money, I don't think, but that's not bad money. And, you know, for doing something fun that you maybe have laying around already or would have written anyway. And uh, the next opportunity came around and she said $4,000. And they said, yeah, we can afford that. So she's like, oh, even better. Mm. Price is going up. <laughs> uh, and then her daughter, who was just graduating from college, got hired I think she said for $20,000 to put together basically the same kind of thing. And I think she said it was for LinkedIn. So it was, it was for LinkedIn or some aspect of LinkedIn that was uh, wanting to do lead generation. So they were creating content, which they were getting behind email opt-ins or, or perhaps, um, yeah, presumably some sort of lead generation. I don't know how they were capturing it, but you know, these, it was, these are college kids who are non-experts almost by definition, and, you know, getting paid five times as much as she got paid. So she was like, well, I'm going to raise my price. And, you know, and she says now she'll get paid $20,000 for a uh, two to 3,000 word ebook that some company is going to use as lead generation or demand generation uh, to attract their audience. And they, they're sort of leveraging each other's brands. You could think of it almost as a joint venture. Yeah. Yeah. where they both have the same audience. Hers, uh, I think current, her current audience, I believe she said is, uh, sort of VP of sales type people. And, you know, lots of people are trying to sell things to that same group who are not competitive with Jill in any way. They're, you know, people who maybe make, uh, marketing software like HubSpot or something like that. And they might, they might be looking for content that's going to attract, uh, vice presidents of marketing to a webinar or uh, to download an ebook to basically get their email address into their database, as she called it. Mm -hmm. And th so when she told this story, I, just like a gigantic, like horns were going off in my mind because she's turned this into, you know, 50% of her revenue last year, she said was from things like this. And, you know, for doing uh, uh, partnerships in her email list and you know, she has a huge email list, but still, you know, she'll get paid. The number she mentioned was $4,000 to, to put a link to, uh, you know, some article or ebook that someone else wrote in her newsletter and so on and so forth. So there are all these ways that she can basically do her favorite activity, which is to create new content to help her, her people, you know, her, mm -hmm. her audience, her base and get paid to do it by essentially, I mean, in a sense, you could think of it as she's being sponsored or doing joint ventures or, you know, advertising. It's sort of, it's sort of all in that area, but she's kind of partnering with these companies who want to throw money at a problem that they have, which is how do we get people's attention? And, you know, between her name now, which is very well known and the quality of her stuff, she attracts eyeballs. So they say, Hey, you know, can we get some of that attention? Can we rent some of that attention from you? Mm -hmm. And it allows her to continue helping, you know, she's not, she's still helping the people she wants to help. It's just essentially being funded by uh, a, a partner, if you will. Well, it's sort of like thinking of big pockets and small pockets, mm -hmm. right? The big pockets are, in her examples, technology companies that want to reach the VP of sales, and they've got a lot of money to play with. And the small pockets are the individual salespeople who really want to learn and can learn and change their lives with the material that she provides. So she's found a way to take out of the big pockets and put into the small pockets. <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting model that I think 
um, any sort of expert or authority can potentially use if you're really, really clear on who your market is. Yeah, that's a critical piece that we didn't really emphasize that much last week. It's super important to do it the way she's doing it. It's critical that 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 is the way that it works because you're sort of, like I said, renting attention out to them, you know, Mm -hmm. to give them a bump. And I've got, I mean, I have a, (laughs) I have ton, it's so weird because in retrospect, I can't believe it never occurred to me as a, it always occurred to me as like a sort of supplemental or, you know, pocket change kind of thing. And really I saw it more as, as I cared more about the authority building aspect of it in the past when it's happened to me, Mm -hmm. even though I got paid for, you know, I get paid and, and get the authority building uh, benefits, but I don't know. It just never occurred to me to, you know, stop doing, it it would never would have occurred to me to say, Oh, I'm going to stop doing client work and just do this stuff. I would have loved it actually. Right. So it kills me that I didn't think of it back, (laughs) you know, in 2012, if I had, if I had had this idea, it would have been so great. But, uh, so hopefully dear listener, this is clicking, uh, with you and is maybe it's obvious to you, but if it's not obvious to you, how you could, Maybe take an approach like this. I know I've got a few examples I can share, and I think Rochelle too, mm-hmm. that maybe would give people some ideas. Yeah. I mean, the example I thought of after the fact is I have a client who serves financial advisors of a certain size and that have a certain kind of practice set up. And so what she does, and it's a significant portion of her revenue, is she speaks and writes for uh, maybe three or four companies in total that serve that same audience. And what's great about that is she doesn't make a ton um, speaking. She'll, she'll make a little bit more in writing, but she doesn't make a ton speaking compared to, say, a paid speaker. But she's a typical paid speaker. But she's going into these groups with her ideal audience. So she's traveling around the country. Her expenses are covered. She's getting... Um, money for speaking, and then she's interacting with her ideal audience on a stage. And literally all of her work comes from people that she's presented to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's genius. Yeah, it's great. And you mentioned on a previous episode, another thing that I had never thought of to, to help increase the sort of monetary value of a speaking gig is to have product available. And I've certainly seen people do that a million times, but it, it never really occurred to me to, uh, to think of it that way, because back when I was doing the the bulk of my speaking, I didn't have any products mm-hmm. or productized services to sell. It was just like, hey, let's talk about doing a big, huge custom project that will be anywhere from six months to three years. So it wasn't like it just didn't. There was nothing for me to sell, you know, uh, in that way. You know, yes, I was talking to an incredibly targeted room, but I just had nothing to sell them, you know. I could have at least had the t-shirts or something <laughs> like a <laughs> well, rock when band. <laughs> when your business model is just you, that is all you have to sell. And it's harder to leverage speaking. I mean, if, if that's, if that's literally all you have to sell, then you have to get a lot of money for those speaking gigs to make it worth your time because the chances of you pulling somebody out of that room are either small or you're limited in how much you can do. If you can only take on one or two of those kinds of projects a year, mm-hmm. Um, you know, you might have a, a whole room full of prospects, but be only able to serve one or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, here's a, uh, so that was a, a good example. Let me throw one out there from my side of the fence. 
let's see. The first one that came to mind uh, when we started talking about this was I got approached by Intel in, I don't know what year it was. It was probably, I can't even guess, but you can look it up, dear listener, by going to insidethebrackets.com because they hired me to host a panel show on essentially, it was, it was on YouTube, but it was essentially a talk show. And I was the moderator and it, like they flew me to San Francisco and we would shoot two or three episodes and a visit and we would, uh, it was like a TV show. It was like a news show. <laughs> like, like with the, you know, the, the bottom third with like people's names and I had reading off a teleprompter. It was wild. And I got paid good money for that. I mean, five figures mm-hmm. to, to do, to basically f- fly to San Francisco, which I love, you know, is a great town, super fun. And I got to pick the guests. <laughs> so. And they would be like, hey, it's in, they'd go deal with everything. So they were like, hey, it's Intel calling. Uh, hey, would you like to come on this web TV show that we're putting together? And pretty much everybody said yes. It, you know, if they didn't, it was because yeah. they just couldn't fit it into their schedule. Cause why wouldn't you? It was so cool. I mean, I know you're used to like video production and stuff, but I'm not. So go into this like set. It was crazy. Money. So they're taking care of all the details for you. So they're producing it, which is, you know, the hard part. Right. And then there I am, like Ryan Seacrest or something. <laughs> you know? And I can see it. And my name was in the title. So it was like, and these videos got millions of views. And it was right in my audience. <laughs> I, was like, I should have been paying for it, you know? But it was the, exactly what she described. It was. It was, they, mm-hmm. they had to, they needed to reach or they wanted to reach a very particular audience that I had a real good rapport with. And I, you know, I had spent a lot of time building up that relationship with the audience. So, you know, and it was mostly, it was basically web developers. And this was when Intel was making a push into developer tools and they were trying to get, uh, they were just trying to get they wanted basically evangelism to build a developer community to get traction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I took it really seriously. And this is, I think this is a key point. Uh, at the beginning, I took it really seriously. I took my, the trust that I built up in my audience, I took extremely seriously and I was not about to let a, you know, gigantic company just run roughshod over it. So when we first started talking, I was very much like, I didn't understand where they were coming from, you know, to Jill's point. I didn't get it. Like, I didn't get what their mm-hmm. motivation was. And so I was like, I need you to spell it out for me, like, what you want to get out of this. Because I don't, I, I would need to agree with it, right? Like, I don't want to film mm-hmm. all this stuff and then have you plaster some, like, super tacky uh, promotion on it that I that I would not advocate, you know? So I kind of wanted mm-hmm. to know what I was putting my name on. And so they satisfied me there. And I said, okay, and the other thing is, the, the one sort of... The one sort of, not concession, because I thought it was fine, but the the one thing, the only thing they really wanted was that for each show, and there were five people on each one, for each show, there was one person from Intel. That's all they really cared about. Mm, okay. And That's reasonable. I thought it was reasonable, too. And I said, okay, but I'm not going to softball the person. I'm going to ask real questions. You know, my job was to essentially, you know, it was more like Jerry Springer than, than <laughs> Ryan Seacrest, actually, because I was there to stir it up. And I was like, all right, you know, you know, I had people f- from Adobe and, and Intel and Cisco and HP and, you know, talking about, 
I, native mobile versus web mobile and phone gap and all of the technologies at the time. And, and I was familiar with all of them. I was very familiar with all of them and I knew all their pros and cons. So I wanted to have these people kind of like, you know, I wasn't going to let anybody off the hook. I'm like, well, yeah, you're saying this, but what about X, Y, and Z that you're not talking about? I'm like, yeah, that's true, but blah, 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 blah. So I felt like it was, I, I felt like, um, it was credible. I, what's, what's the word? It was like, it was, it was, it wasn't violating the trust in the audience. I wasn't going on there and talking out of both sides of my mouth. Ethical. Ethical. Thank you. Felt yeah. el- it felt ethical. Right. Yeah. But that's a good point though. I think everybody that considers doing this, you, you have to be comfortable because essentially you are going into business with somebody and it may look really simple. It may just be that you're writing a guide or a short ebook, but how that gets marketed, whose hands it goes in, how your name is used. Mm-hmm. Um, those things all matter. They're, they're part of your brand. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit as it, as you were talking, I was thinking it's a little bit like when celebrities decide what to endorse, like what commercials to be part of, you know, they go through that kind of same process, which is how does this align with my brand, my message? Um, they may not say community, but you know, community is the right word, I think in your case, but mm-hmm. you know, how are, how does this work with my people? And, you know, and ideally you're always looking to make sure that there's, there's the right alignment in your interests. Yeah. As with developers, it's like, they're kind of like, like if you get labeled a sellout, it's you're in trouble. Oh, you're done. Yeah. So it's same with musicians. It's like a sellout, you know, Metallica cut their hair. What? I can never listen to their music again. <laughs> How dare they? Well, Metallica still has a brand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they weathered the storm. They weathered the yeah. hair gel apocalypse. Gel gate. So, okay. Um, what I'm trying to think of, uh, I have a bunch of other examples. You know, I, I've been approached by companies like, um, I'm not even sure. I think Bright Cove was one and uh, App Moby and these sort of startup I mean, Bright Cove's big, but they're sort of, you know, they're not Procter & Gamble, but it's they have huge offices and lots of employees and they've definitely got budget. And and, and other, other sort of startups that were funded and doing well that were interested in building a developer community and wanted to understand how to speak to them with the very most current cutting edge language and provide value to them in a genuine way. And yeah, I got, I got paid, you know, for, geez, I'm trying to think of the length. It's, it's hard. It's hard to remember the numbers, but I remember, but I'm typically, I like to be well paid. So uh, I'm sure I never took less than a thousand dollars for like a 500, 500 word article. Like sometimes they'd say, Hey, can we mm-hmm. give you a thousand bucks to write an article? And I'd be like, sure. And they'd usually be like, can you cut it down? Like I would write it just extemporaneously, like zero research because I was so up to date with what was going on. Maybe I'd check one or two Google searches. I'd check and like, oh, is this still true? Yeah, okay. Boom. And I'd like barf out 100, what am I trying to say? 1,200 words. That's like my natural length for an article, like 1,200 words. They'd be like, ah, we need 500. Can you cut it down to 500? Like, sure. Mm -hmm. And just like, and I've done at least a dozen of those. I've had people ask me to write white papers, you know, maybe talking, geez, I don't know how many words you get in a white paper, but it's probably more like, it, they would be short. It was short. Well, a typical white paper is somewhere between two and 5,000 top words, but yeah. two or 3,000. Yeah, that's probably about, yeah, it's probably about two or 3,000. And, 
I just never thought like, oh, I should proactively be like, ah, okay, well, this company is, is trying, I can see from their activities that XYZ startup.io is looking to reach this exact audience, you know, that at the current time considered me, you know, an authority on a particular thing. And I was, I could have easily been like, Hey, you guys, I see a gap here in the stuff that you're trying to sell, you know, or trying to promote or the, the information you're sharing is like two years out of date. Uh, I've got an idea and I could have actually pitched some ideas to people. It would have been simple. It just mm-hmm. never occurred to me. Yeah. So, I mean, when I think about this from the listener's perspective, cause we've sort of crossed over into two different kinds of examples. So one example is where people want to reach your audience. And so that's the case where in, I'm thinking of this for your example, Jonathan, where you've built an audience, you've built a reputation and somebody else wants access to that audience or your reputation in some way. And then the other one, which is a lot easier to do if you're in the more beginning stages of this is that really what you're doing is you're helping your, let's call it partner to reach their audience, right? They already have an audience and perhaps they want to expand it and they're going to use your content to help educate and inform that audience. So you really, it's kind of interesting because you can use this at either end of your career. You can use it when you're kind of starting out and you've got, you, you, you know, I'm assuming that you have some expertise, some authority, um, but maybe you've just started your own business and you can do this versus you've been doing it for a while. You've built a community and you may look at how you provide appropriate access to that community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So it, I totally agree. I've got a a number of students and people on my mailing list who let's just broadly refer to them as copywriters who charge by the hour to do things like blog or uh, author email Mm -hmm. campaigns or write Mm -hmm. a sales page. It's very tactical. They're kind of told what to do. If they do any, you know, thought leadership, if they're doing any personal brand building, it's usually to their peers Mm -hmm. and their peers are probably not unless they are doing these sorts of sales activities for people who are trying to sell to other copywriters, it seems like that's generally not going to be as valuable as somebody who's got an audience of fortune 500 sales VPs. So, Mm -hmm. you know, starting out, even if you have a little audience of your peers, that might not be what you sell, but you can certainly use your, your skill to, to say, Hey, I'm a good copywriter. I know how to write good copy, which in my experience usually means that they're pretty good with a lot of branding stuff. Like if you're a good copywriter, Mm -hmm. you probably understand, you're probably empathetic, or at least you understand how to, you know, use you focus language instead of me focus language and, and talk about benefits instead of focusing on features. And you probably know all those branding things. You're probably a natural and you're familiar with good, bad and ugly copywriting. So you could it's tricky because if you don't have a particular target market, it's kind of like, well, where do I start? But let's just say you, you threw a dart at a board and you said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to look for company. Or maybe you just notice as you're going around the internet, you notice that a particular company has a lot of gated content and you get interested and you say, oh, I kind of dig this company. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's, geez, I don't know. Uh, maybe they sell yachts or more, or luxury watches and you're really into luxury watches. That's a thing that you like. It's a hobby. Uh, so you're like, all right, cool. 
I noticed while I was on this site that there's they've got a fair amount of gated content. And you look at it, you say, huh, you actually do some homework, maybe maybe sign up, maybe download it, maybe read it, maybe make a spreadsheet of of what they've got. And if you're familiar with that market, so let's let's say you you know it's a hobby that's your pat it's a it's a, a hobby that you're passionate about and you're part of their audience in a way. Like mm-hmm. you're the kind of person they're trying to attract, then you would know you're like from inside the tribe. So you can say, huh, okay, well, they're not, the, the most recent stuff is a little bit out of date or they're not actually speaking to my pains very well. I'll bet you these, these materials aren't that effective, but I have an idea for what might be effective. And even without a real audience, you could still use your skills and your expertise at your craft to say, huh, I, I think I see a gap here. I think I, I think I have an idea for something that would, uh, be more effective than what they currently have. And they obviously are spending money on it because they've, mm-hmm. they've got a bunch of these email opt-in forms on their website. So what what would you do if you're in a situation like that, you're just starting out or you're early in your career or you're just terrible at at thinking, of, you know, it's just this is just completely new and you don't know how to think about it. Let's say you did what I just said and you're like, mm-hmm. holy moly, I actually have an idea that would <laughs> like they're right. I do have right. an idea, you know, right. what would you like? Let's talk about a pitch for a second, because I think most people are terrible at, at that at pitching. Oh, oh, we are. Pitches are terrible. Well, really. So this, this person has already figured out who their audience is, at least for this, this first shot. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I would think that they've also answered the question as they look at this, which I think is also important is, you know, what do you write about that matches their needs? And when you, and so as you're doing that, in, in your case, your copywriter has figured out, you know, a, a, an idea for, um, you know, this particular, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, this offer on the site or here's you're using this landing page in a way that that isn't working for you okay so so you have an idea then you've got to figure out who owns this inside that that luxury watch company so it's probably somebody on the marketing side it could be you know if the company is small enough it might be the ceo or the vp of marketing if it's big enough you've got to drill down and linkedin by the way is a great tool to find who that might be. Mm-hmm. So once you know who that is, you've got to put yourself in their shoes and say, what would be helpful? And so to me, crafting the right pitch means, first of all, you're addressing the right person. You, you don't just send it to the VP of marketing because you don't know who else to send it to, mm-hmm. right? You got to figure that out and, and just address it as closely as you possibly can. And then you've got to pick, and hey, if you're a copywriter, you're going to be great at this, a non-spammy subject line, right? Something that intrigues them that just doesn't automatically go to the junk file. Mm -hmm. And then I'm a big believer that you state your purpose right up front. I mean, you need to make an intelligent remark about their business so that they know that you've looked at this. So if it's the watch company and it's a personal hobby, I'd make that connection, you know, I've been a fan or a collector, you know, you, you attach yourself to their mission in an authentic way. And then you tell them what your purpose is. I, I th- just think you do it right up front because they're not going to read five paragraphs of Drek. No, it okay? has to be super short. These emails yeah. have to be super short. So quick connection in a sentence. So they know that you just like didn't 
you know, decide to just do this to 500 other companies, <laughs> something that shows that you know who they are. And sometimes, you know, especially with copywriters, you can pull like a line of copy and say, you know, th this is what I do. And you have to be careful with copywriters. Sometimes you can actually rewrite a piece of copy in an email just to give them a little teaser. Mm. Um, that's dangerous. It's, it's a double-edged sword. Um, but then the other thing is to suggest a time or even better yet, give them an electronic link to, to your calendar and say, um, does it make sense for us to talk for 15 minutes and we can figure out whether this is something you're interested in. Um, and you might include a sample. If somebody's really interested, you know, they may not be really quick to take a meeting with you, but they might like to see a sample. And if you, especially if you have a sample that's a before and an after, it can be really powerful. Hmm. So I, I go leaner than that. I don't, but I've never sold copywriting stuff. So I'm not, you know, who knows? Um, you have to be creative when you're a copywriter. Or you should be. I mean, you know, should be your stock and trade. Yep. I go I go leaner than that and I do a smaller ask. I'm not saying one's better than the other. It's just what I do, which is uh, everything you said, like you need to, you need to, oh, there's one thing I wanted to loop back to. Um, you said LinkedIn is good for finding these sorts of people. And after the, after the interview with Jill, I tested exactly what she suggested, which was to go to LinkedIn with one of my students. We did it like over a screen share. And, and we searched LinkedIn for people who were, uh, second level connections that had the word demand or demand generation or lead or lead generation in their title. And we had mm -hmm. like, and, and specific company, cause this particular student, he has like specific companies that he knows he, he's a good fit for, you know, we've got this vertical that we're, that we're targeting because he's got some experience in that space and street credit, so on and so forth. And it's like, all right, well, we already have this list of 50 companies that are perfect fit for you. So let's just, you know, company name plus demand and boom, some mm -hmm. of them had multiple people that, yeah. that their job title is demand generation or yeah, mm -hmm. demand generation. It was like, okay, there's your list. <laughs> and like you said, send a, you know, do your, you got to do your homework. Absolutely. Otherwise you're just a spammer and people can smell a spammer a mile away. And, you know, and especially if you're targeting a small vertical, word gets around, you know, you might email two people in a row who sit next to each other mm -hmm. at this, you know, you like <laughs> send out a shotgun email blast to 10,000 people that you scraped off LinkedIn and a bunch of them sit right next to each other and be like, who's this clown? I don't know. You sent me the same thing too, you know, so don't be a clown, obviously, but you know, a little bit personalized and say, Hey, I was on your website and I noticed that I noticed thing. You know, mm -hmm. and I have this idea that would give you this benefit that I think would it would be a really effective lead generation technique for you or lead generation. Um, I mean, she was specifically talking about uh, list building, you know, like uh, getting leads, a.k.a. email addresses into their their CRM or their database or wherever they're whatever they're using. And in that particular scenario, it's pretty easy to find the people who are responsible for that. And to just say, hey, I've got an idea. Um, I, I know I saw your website. I I was on there. I noticed this. Uh, I think there's a you know Jill's example was you don't have. I noticed you don't have anything for onboarding salespeople. There's not a not a white paper anywhere on your website about onboarding salespeople. Uh, I think that would be a big hit for you guys. Is it worth you know jumping on a phone call for a quick talk and just boom, yeah. short and sweet. Yeah, you got to find that that 
you, you can think of it as a hole that you're filling, but it's really that alignment of interest because if there's no alignment of interest, you shouldn't be wasting your time or theirs. Correct. And it's, you know, the, the more you can tie it to a specific outcome for them, mm-hmm. the better. Mm-hmm. And it's short and sweet. And, and, you know, and you can, it, it, when I say sample, I really generally would only do that for a copywriter. Mm. The, the thing that I like to put in there is if, if you're just totally cold, it's like, of course, it's going to be totally cold. This is like pure cold outreach. Um, but it, I am cool with the idea of adding something. I generally refer to it as something remarkable. So it could be that I, I usually use this for introductions though, but it can work here as well. Like what is something remarkable that you can say in one sentence that is going to make their eyebrows go up? You know, like uh, maybe you did the, you know, for a copywriter, maybe, maybe you did the whatever, I don't know, the Volkswagen campaign, or maybe, you, you mm-hmm. know, you, you did, maybe it's a, maybe you can splash a big name client in there. Maybe you can splash a really, you know, I'm the one that wrote the, where's the beef ad dating myself, but you know, maybe right. something remarkable. It doesn't have to be, you know, a, a dramatic before and after counts. It could be a giant client. It could be a well-known catchphrase. It could be uh, just something that's going to make them say, just think you're interesting or give you some kind of street cred or essentially bottom line is something that's going to make them interested to talk to you, like make yeah. you interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's too soon. You're not going to build trust in an email like this, really. But it's kind of like the very first step of like, huh, this person could be, um, could be interesting. Oh, another, another thing that uh, I see a lot is that they'll share some, some third party validation. Like, oh, I know you've never heard of me. So I wanted to let you know that I was the number one Salesforce copy, you know, copywriter on Salesforce last year mm-hmm. or, you know, something, some sort of. Yep. Some sort of credential or uh, credential is the wrong word. It's like a superlative, but it's it's just everybody has got something relative to the audience you're serving that might make them perk their ears up. Yeah. Yeah. Something to make you individual and different and human and to, to begin to create a connection and generate interest. And, you know, but you also want to the, the balance that you have to strike is. You want to come across as someone who's not going to waste their time. And if you send a giant email, you are coming across as someone who is going to waste their time on the phone. So, Oh, it, needy. Yeah, I, needy, I see the email. Right. Like, this is needy. I don't have time for this. Right. right. Yeah. And then, you you know, it's not about it's not about begging for the work. You know, once you do get on the phone call, it's not about begging for the work whatsoever. It's making, you know, checking to see if there's a good fit. So yeah, let me jump on the phone. You start working. You start working on that phone call. Yeah. What's Here's the idea. You know, I noticed, you know, here, here it is fleshed out. I, not that you wrote it, but here's the full idea. Here's why I think it will work. What do you guys think? Is that something you'd be interested in doing? If so, we can, you know, we could talk about what that looks like. But, you know, either way, it was nice to meet you. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Boom. Yeah, boom. It, it's, I think we, we work this up so much in our heads. When we're not salespeople, Right. As their primary occupation, you kind of start to think about this and it it takes on a a sort of a scary life of its own. But it really isn't. You're trying to help somebody and you're trying to help them with an idea that you have that directly applies to them. It's you're creating a win win. It's not you're not going to them begging. You're not going to them hat in hand. 
you are going to them with a mutually beneficial idea, what you think is mutually beneficial, and then you're, you listen to what they have to say. And the beauty of it is, even if they say no, you may be able to trot that idea to somebody else. Of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I love that's I mean, an idea, a good idea is a good idea. Sometimes it just has to find the right home. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, a couple other things Jill mentioned on this that are, that are tactical, but I think important and non intuitive or unintuitive for people who don't do sales is that, you know, she mentioned following up eight to 10 times when you send an email like this to somebody. And even I, I'm like, wow, that's a lot, you know, but still it's like people are busy. The inbox is jammed. Uh, I'm sure if I, you know, uh, I, I know I read about this in, in her book, selling to big companies. She does really specific tactical advice with scripts and everything about how to do follow up without being a pest mm -hmm. and coming at it from a, from a posture of service so that they're, you know, it's all about this. It's not needy. It's like this. I, hey, I've got this opportunity that someone's going to take, you know, like, I know this is a good opportunity. I believe that this is a good opportunity. Um, and I, you know, I don't want you to miss out on it sort of thing. It's not like you're, um, you're begging for anything. Well, the other thing I'd like to point out, it was sort of behind the the scenes a little bit when Jill was talking. So, so Jill is, she's a soloist. And I'm sure she has other people working with her and helping her on various things. But basically, she's a soloist. And we heard her on this, on this interview talk about her database. So this is, this is someone who has put a lot of effort into tracking who she has contact with, looking at them, at, you know, as a salesperson would, looking at them as leads. She's probably aging the leads and, mm -hmm. you know, she didn't say what software she's using, but it doesn't matter. It, she has a system for prioritizing those leads, deciding how and when to spend time with them, and then she works the system. So it's kind of like if, if, you're, if you're a person who, let's say you're a software developer and you take one or two clients a year, uh, chances are you can keep your system on a piece of, on a scratch pad somewhere. Yeah, in your head. Right? Yeah, but if you're someone who you want to sell productized services, you want to sell some sort of products, you want to sell your books, uh, you want to sell your speaking engagements, something like tracking all of this activity is going to help keep it top of mind for you. And you'll start to develop the discipline that salespeople have that I believe we need to have as business owners. Yeah, I mean, I say to people all the time, it's like when you when you went out on your own, you quit your job and you went on your own as a software developer or a copywriter or a photographer or whatever it was, you didn't you maybe didn't, you know, incorporate, maybe you didn't get a lawyer, maybe you didn't lease an office, but you went into business all the same. And and all the 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 skill that's required to run a business is something you need to build the same way you had to build your skill taking photos and writing copy and, and writing code. It's not like, I mean, it's super arrogant or it's somewhere between arrogant and naive to think that people are just going to beat a path to your door and write you checks. It's like, no, be nice. it would be, it'd be great, <laughs> but that's fantasy land. So exactly. if you want, if you want to business, you need to get good at business. And one of the really important things about getting good at business is, uh, sales, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like she said, and, and I, feel the same way 
if you think sales is gross and pushy and and sort of egocentric and megalomaniacal, wow, did I say that right? Wow. Um, <laughs> then you're thinking about it wrong. Like that's not sales. Those are bad salespeople. And that's why you think you don't like sales. But uh, if you read one of her books or another book called The Secret of Selling Anything by Harry Brown, it's just a, the best book I've ever read on sales. It's from the 60s and it hasn't aged a day. Uh, but there, there are some people out there that really know what they're talking about. And the core premise is that you're there to help. It's consultative, mm-hmm. right? It's like, right. it's like, hey, we serve. right. We serve. It's, we're here to serve, not here to like steal your money and, and bully yeah. you into buying something. Yep. It doesn't have to make you feel gross. It shouldn't really. <laughs> right. If, if it makes you feel gross, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> exactly. Right. 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 So, okay. Do we, do we want to talk about things like, you know, she talked about having sponsors for her newsletter. Let, let's just quickly say, so the newsletter thing, and, you know, if someone would come along and say, hey, I've got an ebook that I think your audience would really like. Uh, would you consider promoting it? And she, you know, her, her words were, well, you know, no, it's, it, it's my list for my stuff. And, and they're like, well, could we pay you? And she's like, oh, well, <laughs> send me over the ebook. And, and yeah. she got it and she read it and she was like, this is perfect. They would, this is actually good. This, they would love this. This would help them. You know, it served her mission to help these people. So, you know, she went back to them and charged, you know, some four figure amount for like, uh, you know, a summary and a quick mention in an email, like $4,000 right. or something like that. Access. Right. And I, now this is much more, this is the kind of thing you can only do really if you, I, I think it's, well, not only do, but it's a lot easier to do this when you're farther along and you've got a, you've built up an audience that you have direct access to that other people want direct access to, but are having a hard time getting it. And I've got, I mean, I have, hmm, trying to think, a number of students and a, a big group of friends who make a significant amount of money with, you know, having us a, on the, with their e- weekly email list, they'll have like one sponsored link, uh, podcasts that, that have a sponsor. Uh, we don't, we don't do that, but there are plenty of them that do. And, you know, I, I, I know people that get $10,000 an episode for podcasts, really popular podcasts. Mm-hmm. I know that's, that's kind of a, that's kind of an outlier. I know plenty of people that do, uh, you know, a few thousand dollars a month with just either with an email list or a, uh, or podcast, co- podcast sponsorships where, and, and it's funny because once you put a sponsor in either of those places, it's kind of like advertising the fact that you take sponsorships. So then if you put a page in, you know, a, a little link somewhere right. that says, Hey, interested in sponsoring this show or this, this list, click here. And then you've got like a pricing page and it's not that much work. You know, there's some, it's more work than right. you might think, I suppose. It's like, there's some surprising work, like a little bit of back and forth and whoops, there was a typo or the link was broken. What are you going to do for us? And you know, there's like you right. know, stuff happens, but, but it doesn't have to be a big, you don't need to have like a salesperson or like join one of these ad networks or something like that. No, just the opposite. It's really, really simple. And if you want help, you get yourself a virtual assistant to deal with that stuff. Big time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this stuff starts to add up and if, and if it's, if you're getting, you're kind of double dipping too, because you're, you're getting the third party validation of these big companies advertising in your list or on your podcast. And you're, 
if you're picky about who you get in bed with, you're which you should be, which you should be, <laughs> you're giving away really good content. Like you're you're serving right. your audience. You know, it maybe yes. it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to all be coming out of your mouth or out of your fingers. It can come up. You know, there are other smart people who are trying to help the same people. So the same audience. So, you know, if you meet them and you kind of vet them and you sort of extend your trust to them and, and introduce them to the, the room, so to speak, mm-hmm. it's a valuable thing for everybody. Win, 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 as we said. Yeah. And the, the word I always think about with that kind of stuff is resonance. You know, there are people and, and sometimes companies with whom, you know, we just naturally resonate. We're like, oh, I like them. They're their vibe is like mine or their audience is similar. Their message has a lot of the same underlying values to it. And, you know, when you feel that resonance, I I think that's a clue that there might be something there. Mm -hmm. And then you can start to explore whether you can put some sort of a deal together that's mutually beneficial. But if, if you don't feel that, and I don't mean to make it sound woo woo, but I think if you don't feel that resonance, you know, like if somebody's message really like just turns you off, just, you know, don't bother. I don't care how much money's in their pocket. It's not going to be a good fit for you. Right. Yeah. If you don't feel that vibe, it's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I I guess the only other thing, Jonathan, I just want to make sure that we hit on this again, which is in order to get paid to market yourself, um, (laughs) the way that we're talking about, you really do have to be clear on your ideal audience so that, the, the clearer you are, the more all of your content that's out there now, just out in the public domain, the clearer that will be. And it'll be more of a beacon to other individuals or companies that want to reach that same target. So I just think exquisite clarity on your <laughs> ideal audience uh, like is, is needed. It's great. It's I mean, I know as you're saying that I could not more heartily endorse that it's makes everything so much easier. It makes everything so much more effective. And yet Mm -hmm. almost everybody I talk to is strenuously avoiding doing that. (laughs) It's hard. It's like you're, you're picking one marble and leaving all the other ones on the, on the floor. Yeah. It feels like suicide. It's the exact opposite, Mm -hmm. but it does that said it does not, I, in my experience, it does not work to randomly pick one. It, it's not that effective. You you have a tendency to doubt it and, you know, like, oh, maybe I should have picked, you know, oh, these th- I got it down to these three possibilities. I kind of like this one. I kind of like that one. I kind of like this one. They all have pros and cons. I guess I'll pick this one. Mm. And then the self-doubt creeps in and, it you know, there's some kind of, at some point, you just need to go all in. You need to make a leap of faith. And having having a mission makes it way easier because it's kind of baked in there. It's like, well, here's this right. here's this this quest I'm on, this change I'm trying to make. It's pretty hard to to um, to not have a a particular group that you want to make that change. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. even if even if you know you're trying to get clean water to the whole world, like who doesn't? Yeah, I guess yeah, I guess not. A, I probably a lot of people have clean water, but. You know what I mean? It's like it still implies a target market or an audience or some sort of definable psychographic cross section of the population that, you know, it could be demographic. It could be a job title. It could be a type of vertical. It could be there's so many ways you could slice it. It could be people that believe that 
universities should be free. It could be people are mission driven. You know, they want to serve green companies. It's like a million of them. Mm-hmm. So how do you pick one? Maybe that'd be a good subject for another episode. <laughs> yeah, we don't have enough time on this one for that one. Yeah. So folks, if you have not listened to the Jill Conrath episode yet, you should really take the time and listen to it because it's just chock full of solid gold. And she's also hilarious. So <laughs> <laughs> she was a great interview. Yeah. Uh, cool. Do we have anything else for this week? Uh, I don't think so. All right. Well, let's wrap it up there. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next week for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.